we're going to be in our last uh, part of Remain in Love. We've been going through this series for the last eight weeks and been focusing on remaining in God. The Bible tells us God is love. We're going to read that passage actually this morning. If you want to make your way there, we're going to be in 1 John uh, once again in 1 John chapter 4. And if we've been going through this series, Remain in Love, which is to remain in God, what we see is that even though this idea of remain, or in some translations says abide, it means to lodge or dwell, even though it seems like it's just kind of sitting there and not doing anything, to remain takes a a very active intention on our life. Um, Throughout our life, throughout our day, even today, there are going to be things that come up into uh, into our attention, um, way upon our minds and our hearts, that are, are going to try to pull us away from the presence of God and pull us away from the love of God. And so we began this series just focusing on you know, committing ourselves to God and trusting in God and being still before God and knowing that He is God. And even though we may not understand it, even though we may be overwhelmed by it, God is it. And He's in control and He'll take care of the matter. And so to remain is to one begin with that focus. But we also see in Scripture that to remain in love is to bear fruit. It's to perform or to prove that we, in fact, belong to Jesus Christ. That is one thing that God has left us on this planet to do, is that we represent Him and His glory and His kingdom, His greatness that we just sung about. And and to do that, we bear fruit according to Jesus Christ. And to do this means we need to be obedient. We need to trust God at His word and live that out by faith. And, And in doing so, the Bible promises that we will experience the complete joy of God. This morning, to wrap up the series uh, in this Remain in Love, um, I don't normally come up with titles to messages, but this one just kind of jumped out. And so if you're one of those that that takes notes and you want something to put to the very top center of your page, here you go. Uh, To remain in love, we must remain in our salvation. And as I thought about that, I thought I'd better clarify what I mean by that. To remain in love means we need to remain in our salvation. I'm not saying that we can lose our salvation. I do not believe the Bible says that. The Bible does say we can walk away. We have the free choice and free will that we can walk away from the love of God. We can walk away from the faith. We can abandon altogether, and God will allow us to do that because He loves us. But on our good days and bad days, more on our bad days, we don't lose our salvation because we had a bad moment because we did something we know we shouldn't have done. God doesn't say, all right, well, until you did that right, you're no longer my child. Um, God adopts us, the promise to never leave us or forsake us. But I think a lot of times, at least for me, I guess my confession, I hate to confess a lot. <laughs> I grew up in the church and become so accustomed to, you know, terms that we apply to salvation, you know, uh, forgiveness and mercy and sacrifice and the cross and the resurrection and and indwelling and then some other terms as well that um, just kind of bigger terms that Paul uses and in defining what salvation is and what it's to look like in our life that sometimes when I hear about it um, when I hear about the cross when I hear about the resurrection when I hear about the love of God again my confession I'm not in awe of it the way I should be I'm not just overwhelmed by that. And so my prayer this, this week is God has been laying this message upon my heart. It's kind of what we did several weeks ago. And going back to what we have learned from the beginning. 
going back to understanding what our salvation means, what it is, what it implies to our life, and why it should drive us to not only remain in God, but to produce that fruit out of our life into the people that God has placed around us. Um, once we get, and I pray that God speaks to our hearts because I can't do it eloquently enough, but once God gives us that clarity and that understanding, man, there will be nothing to stop us in doing what God has set aside for us to do for His glory. But it all comes back to remaining in our salvation, remaining in the beauty of it and the joy of it and the awe of it and the awareness of it when we first came to know Him. If you have your Bibles, again, we're in 1 John chapter 4. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 8. I just want to throw this out there. If you've missed any of this series and like to kind of look back, you can find it online on the church's website. There's a link, and I encourage you to do so. First um, John chapter 4, beginning in verse 8, and the word of the Lord says, The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And God's love was revealed among us in this way, that God sent His, only, His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And love consists in this, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 11, Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and His love is made complete in us. And this is how that we know that we remain in Him and He in us. He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent His Son as the world's Savior. Verse 15, For whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in Him and He in God. And we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in in Him. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for allowing us to enter into Your throne room of grace, enter into Your greatness and Your holiness and Your perfection. Thank You for allowing us to have this place where we can open Your Scriptures and we can allow Your voice, Your Word, Your Spirit to speak to our hearts. And Lord, what is set before us is this morning is, is nothing I can do. I can't speak eloquently enough. I, I can't say the right words. It has to be from you, Lord. So I'm surrendering completely in this moment. Father, that you would awaken your children. You would awaken me to the beauty of our salvation. So that we can remain in you. We can continue to seek after you and continue to just be in awe and in love with you, Lord. Thank you, you've given us this incredible challenge, but you've also given us the means to do so. And Lord, I just, I ask your spirit just to open the scriptures in this moment. As you do with your disciples and you give them all clarity and discernment into your word, that in this moment your, your spirit would open your word, allow us to hear your voice speaking to our hearts. For Lord, you have the power to change us and only you. Forgive me if I failed you in any way. Forgive us if we have failed you in any way in, in, in worshiping you. But Father, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our life in this time. And pray this all in your Son's name. Amen. This is, John is writing, obviously he's one of the apostles. Uh, he, 
also wrote the Gospel of John. He has three epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. It's most likely, though it is debatable whether John wrote Revelation. Most people believe he did. Some believe it was another John, but we'll, that's for another topic because we're not doing Revelation today, Jason. Sorry to break your heart. Um, but it is known that John was at one point in time a pastor of the church of Ephesus. And Ephesus had a lot of uh, celebrity pastors according to the scriptures. Paul was a pastor there at one time. John the Apostle was a pastor at the one time. Timothy was a pastor there at one time. But if you turn to the book of Revelation and you hear the description of Ephesus, um, this was a church that God probably sent these very uh, strong pillars in the faith because this church had a lot of issues. Um, and, and all churches have issues. We just be clear, it's not a perfect church on this planet. It will not be perfect till we see God in all His glory. But when we turn to the book of Revelation, we get a glimpse into the life of this church. And, and this church was very busy. They were a very busy body church. They were doing things for the kingdom and doing all these works. We also know, according to the book of Revelation, that this church was standing opposed to false teachings and false prophets and people who claimed Jesus Christ but weren't teaching the true scriptures. And they would oppose those things. So these, these people in Ephesus, this church in Ephesus, they were into the Word of God. They knew the Word of God. They were, they were trying to, to do things for the Word of God in the kingdom of God. But God brings a rebuke against Ephesus, which I think is why John, if he's writing to this group of believers in the epistles and in his gospel, keeps pointing to this idea that you have to remain in love because this is the rebuke in the church of Ephesus. I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. And the reality hits is that we can do all the godly things. We can be in all the scripture and we can know scripture and we can still be doing all the wrong stuff. We can do all the right stuff and still be producing the wrong thing. If we abandon the first love that we have, if we, if we don't remain in the love. See, the Bible is very clear when it comes to us as believers, love is to be the fuel for everything we do. It's our love for God. It's, the, it's God's love pouring into us. It's not so we can remain in that, but that love would pour out into people. And though it sounds easy, what Scripture tells us time and time again is that we have to remain in God. We have to lodge ourselves in God because we can so easily think that we're doing it all right. We can so easily give ourselves a passing grade when the reality is we're doing all this busy work. We're, we're, we're abandoning all this false teaching, but the one thing we're missing is love. And I've been in churches before, I've been around believers before who, have, who know their scriptures and who are busy with mission things and WMUs and brotherhoods and mission trips, but they are such unloving people that they're hard to be around. I pray you haven't been around those people, but the reality is someday you will. And, and it should make us feel spiritually sick. And this is why John in the Bible keeps pointing back to this love. Look there in verse 8. John writes a very emphatic statement. He says, the one who does not love God does not know God because God is love. What it's saying is that in knowing God and having an understanding of God in, in our salvation, that's, that's what salvation ultimately means is we have an understanding of God and his love for us and Jesus' sacrifice that we could be forgiven for our sins and this gift of eternal life. But to know that should produce love. And if love is not produced in our life on the people that God has placed into our life, then there is in fact no knowledge of God. 
You may have some idea about God, but it's not the God of the Bible. Because God is love. And John, hear it again. He says, if you do not have love, you do not know God. And what it's telling us and what it kicks me in the shins because some people are just very hard to love, but the reality is, is that I cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ and I cannot be a believer in God without an outlook and outpouring of love in my life. John goes on to say this. That sounds something very similar in verse 9 that we read in John 3.16. He says, God sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And what did Jesus live through? Jesus lived out love in his life. And so John is pointing this idea that we have to focus on God. Jesus makes a statement that everyone will know that you're my disciples by the way you love one another. And it's a very interesting statement. Jesus is saying that everyone, meaning the people who are in the church, the people who are believers, the people who are outside the church, people who are unbelievers, everyone in this world will know that you are in fact belonging to Christ, that you are in fact saved, you are in fact a Christian by the way you love one another. See, it's not enough for us to check a box on some form that says, I am a Christian. It's not enough even to say that I am a Christian. According to the word of God, the only evidence is the way I am loving people in my life. And if I'm not a loving person to the people that God has placed in my life, then the scripture is saying something very blunt. You don't know God. At least not the God of the Bible. And you're fooling yourself. So the Bible calls us back to remember this love of our salvation. In, in John, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10, it gives us this definition that love consists in this. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice. Your translation may say to be the propitiation for our sins. And this is where I want us to return just for a moment. The love of our salvation. Hear that again, verse 10. Love consists not that we love God, but that God, the great God, the holy God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the God who's going to judge every single individual in the end, the God who sits on his throne and shall not be moved, that God, he loved us. And he didn't just say, you know, look, I love you. He didn't just do it, but it says in Scripture he demonstrated. He put it on full display for all history to see in sending his only son to be the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins, meaning Jesus lived a life that you and I couldn't, and God placed his full wrath for our sin, our blame upon him, and it was removed from us. That's propitiation. We are no longer seen in our sin. That's how much God loves you. That's how much he loves me. This is the love of our salvation. I think we've become so immune to even though we sing all these songs, even though we do all this stuff, is we become so immune that God loved you. He loved me when I was an enemy to the kingdom. God loved you and me before I even knew what God was. God loved you and me when I continued to do sin. He still loved me. God loved you and me when, when we continue to choose the things that are not of God. He loved you and me before I even understood what heaven and hell and eternal life was. God loved me and you before we even set foot on this earth. That's how much God loves you. And the Bible says nothing can separate the love God has for you. Nothing. 
And I think we hear that because I've heard that numerous times. For God so loved the world. God loves me. Nothing could separate me from the love of God. But here's the reality. We don't act this way. Because in our own love life, we have restrictions. And so I think we apply those restrictions to God. You know, when we do something wrong or someone does something wrong for us, our initial reaction is, oh, I love them. Is it? If you catch someone lying to you, is your initial response, man, I love them. If, if we have someone, and it's not even against us, if we have someone mistreating someone that we love, our initial reaction is, oh, let's go give them a hug. We'd start taking sides. We want to put people in their place. We want to make sure they understand what they did wrong. Here's what God did. God has full right to put us in our place, but instead of doing so, he loves you. He has full right to say, you don't deserve to be in my kingdom. He has full right to say, you don't deserve to be my child. He has full right to say, you don't deserve to be forgiven. But because he loves you and he can do nothing but love you, he says, come. And so we sing these songs of amazing grace and amazing love and, and how, how he loves us and all these things. But the reality is, Sometimes we can sing it, we can hear it, we can go over it over again, and we forget we do not deserve this love. In our greatest moment, our greatest day, we still fall short of the perfection that God has called us to. Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But God, he says, I love you, and I have my best for you. And so John says there in verse 10 that love consists that God loved us. He took the initiative. He loved us. And because he loved us, he sent his son Jesus to be a sacrifice of our sins. Verse 11, if God loved us in this way, we must, we must love one another. John goes on to say in verse 9 that, that God, he revealed his love in this way that he sent his only son so that we might live through him. See, this is the reality. When we come to the full awareness and the full, full beauty of our salvation and this love that God has for us, we now live through Jesus. And as I thought about that statement, living through someone, man, the first thing that came to my mind was, was kids and parents living through their children. Have you ever seen this, man? Yesterday, you know, Ethan and Abby, they started their, their first basketball game for uh, the Stratford Community League. And we went to Abby's game and it was very, very subdued. It's very calm. I mean, you got little girls just hoping to dribble it down the court and maybe they'll throw it to the right person at a time. And, and so you're just like, oh, yay, good job. You kept it in bounds, you know. Yay. And, and so that was the first game. And then we come back for the latter game, which were the boys. You know, you got fifth and sixth grade boys. And we get there a little bit earlier. And I, and I walk in and it is like, It's like NBA championship was going on in this room because parents, parents, the very first game of the year were yelling at the refs already. I'm thinking, what are you doing? I mean, they're like kids and, you know, yay, you made a basket. What happened to that? 
But see, something happens in a parent's mind that we begin living through our children. We begin, you know, we want the best for them. We want them to do the best. And if someone mistreats them, we're going to, man, we're going to get on them. And we start living. We start getting those accolades upon ourselves. Yeah, did you see my boy? Yeah, he got two points today. You know, I mean, we start putting ourselves in that situation so much that some of us will start coaching our kids a little bit more. You know, this way you just get that elbow out there. And then... And so we start living through our kids because we, we, we feel like we're a part of that. And, I, and as I got in there, I admit I judged those parents. Man, I will never do that. But as soon as my kids start playing, <laughs> I'm praying for you, ref. Yeah. <laughs> but see, John, when he says live through them, he isn't saying that we, we picture ourselves in Jesus' position. He's saying the reality is, is now that we live through Jesus because we are Jesus. It's not that I can picture myself as Ethan running up and down the court or or, or other kids running up and down the court. And it's that now I'm living the gospel. I'm living the kingdom advancement. That's Jesus living through me. And the only way I can do that is I remain in love with the Father. Because my natural reaction is I want to put people in their place. I want people to know they treated me wrong. I want people to understand that's not right. But the reality, God says, you know what? That is not what people need. They need to know that I love them. And the way I want them to know I love them is through you. They would see my love coming through you. So it blows me away when I, when I think about churches today and the message that they put off and even in, in the gospel message that they put off. You know, church signs are funny. They're just funny. And I know we need to work on our church sign because right now we're colonial afraid of Harvest Hill. But, <laughs> but church signs are funny. I see these signs and I wonder what in the world are they thinking? Without Jesus, you're going to hell. You think, you think it's hot out here? Hell's a lot hotter. You got fire insurance? Come and check. I have never, in all my years in the ministry, I've never met someone come to church and say, hey, I heard that I'm going to hell, so I'm here. I've never had someone come up to me and say, well, I want fire insurance. Or, man, it is hot outside. I don't want to go somewhere that's hotter. I've never seen that happen. I've never seen someone drawn to Christ or drawn to God because of a fear of hell. Matter of fact, John doesn't say this. He says that we have come to know God, and we've come to know that God loves us. Verse 16, we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. We have come to know. We have come to understand. We have come to realize. We have become completely aware that God loves me despite myself. 
It has nothing to do with who I am or what I can do or what I can bring to the table. It has nothing to do with my past, my present, or my future, that God's love encompasses every time that I am existing on this planet. He loves me, and I've come to know and believe that love it's not denying that hell is, exists. It's not denying that if I don't, am not in the love of God that I'm going to be separated from forever. It's not denying that. But John doesn't say we've come to know and believe in hell. He's not saying we've come to know and believe the wrath of God. We've come to know and believe our sin. We've come to know and believe the love of God. And so that is the message we proclaim. Yes, people need to know about hell. Yes, people need to know that sin is separating them from God. Yes, people need to know that. But that's not the message. The message is God loves you. That's our salvation. God loves me. And if we took a moment today and we just had a time of confession and we were just completely honest, I bet there's things that we would pour out that we would be like, oh, I could. But the reality of our deepest, darkest sin, the reality of things we want to keep in the closet, get this. God still loves you. And it doesn't matter whatever anybody else thinks. God loves you. And God is for you. And so John is bringing us back that this love of salvation is the motivator. And because we have this knowledge of this love of salvation, there therefore should be evidence of our salvation in our life. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. Verse 13, this is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. So not only do we have this evidence coming out that we are in God, but now God has given us this assurance of our salvation, the spirit inside of us. That God has made us aware of his faithfulness, his love, his grace, and his mercy, and his compassion towards us, that his patience towards us. Praise the Lord for God's patience towards Mike Kirchin. And God has given us all these things so that now we can be the evidence of our salvation in this, in this world. And we have the assurance of our salvation that we talked about last week that is coming out of us because it's not about us. It's about the love of God coming out of us. And so I thought about this. How do we remain? How do we do this so that the love of God completely comes out of us? And, and I came up with this. This I thought it was cute acronym. You may think it's stupid, but you, you can pray about it later. God wants us to be on par. Now, if you're a golf person, you understand par. Par means you, you make the, the proper amount of strokes required for that particular hole. And because here's my confession, my prayers one day, I will shoot par without the aid of three other people in a scramble, that I will be able to accomplish this task. I will not do it with anybody other, other witnesses, but I will tell you when it happens, okay? So my, I want to shoot par. This is what God wants for our life. God is not requiring of you any more than you can do. God does not expect you to be a superman. God does not expect you, he does not expect me, praise the Lord, to do everything at the church. God wants you to do what is simply required. To be on par. So how to be on par? Par, P-A-R. It begins with the pursuit of God. 
Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, all these worries, all these things that can pull you away from remaining in love, all this stuff. If I just seek first God and his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you or be taken care of. It goes from, from pursuit of God to application of God's word. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 2 says, This is how we know that we love God's children when we love God and we obey his commandments. James tells us that we shouldn't deceive ourselves in being hearers of the word, but we should be doers of the word. Jesus tells us in Matthew that, that if we are going to be a wise builder, that we need to hear what he teaches and we apply it, we do it. And so, so often we hear the word of God, like, oh, that's a good sermon. Oh, that was nice. Or, wow, that just, that touched me really here. But are we doing something with what God is telling us? Finally, is a reverence for God. Pursuit of God, application, and a reverence. I believe this is the key. Because I can pursue after God, and I can apply God's word, and I can even teach God's word. But if I don't have a fear a reverence towards God in my life, then I can do all those things just like the church of Ephesus for the wrong reasons. And I can push all of that legality on other people. So my heart has to have a reverence for God. The book of Ecclesiastes, if you wake up one morning like, man, I'd really like to be depressed today, read Ecclesiastes. It'll get you there. It's all meaningless. It's all chasing after the wind. It's all, oh, there's just no point to life. I mean, I mean, that's where it goes. And you read through Ecclesiastes, you're like, oh, what do I have to live for? But Solomon in his wisdom, what he does is he has the whole world at his fingertips. He has all this wealth and all this wisdom. And so he makes a science project of his own life. He begins chasing after work. He begins chasing after pleasures, after material possessions, after women. And he comes to the conclusion that all of this stuff that we can chase after in his life is all meaningless. It's all worthless. But here's the conclusion. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13. He says, when all has been heard, when all has been done, the conclusion of the matter is this, fear God and keep his commands because this is for all humanity he didn't say keep his commands and then fear God he says it begins with a fear of God he is God he is holy he is great he loves me God that is going to judge every living being on this planet has ever lived and ever will live. He loves me. He's for me, not against me. And even though I may not fully understand everything that goes into my salvation, all I really need to know is God loves me. And that love is to be the drive of me pursuing after him and, and applying his word. And, and that drive is why we come to church and we praise him and, and we give and tithes and offerings. That drive is why we show up and that drive why we read our scriptures, why we gather in Bible studies. That's the drive for everything we do. Because again, if we go back to Revelation, in Revelation chapter 2, the church of Ephesus, they were doing all this stuff. They were calling out all false doctrine and all false teaching, but God says, I have this against you. You have forgotten your first love. And this is where the message comes to the application. 
I'm glad you're here. I'm so glad to be here. But would we allow God to examine our hearts? Would we allow the Holy Spirit to reveal, am I in awe of God's love for me? I just, wow. God saved me and, and I know me. I think the church for a long period of time started preaching a false gospel. I started telling people they needed to clean up their act and then come to church. That's not salvation, that's not the gospel. God loved us before we loved him. And the invitation of salvation is to accept God's love for me. He doesn't say that you've got to have it all figured out. He doesn't say you need to answer every Bible question. You're able to find the last chapters of Daniel or Revelation. All he says is, you need to know that I love you. I love you. And once we've come to know and believe that God loves us, the end result is we can't help but proclaim the glories of the Prince of Peace. Because we want other people to know that God loves them. John talks about that we now testify, and I think a lot of people get scared about that because God wants us to be, us, be his ambassadors. But if you look, John deals with that very idea. You know, say that, you know, I need, I need to talk about God's love. We immediately want to jump, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I can't answer the right question? All you have to say is God loves you. What does that mean? He loves you, period. He sent his son because he loves you. And this fear is like John knew what we would wrestle with in 2017. Verse 18, back in 1 John chapter 4, he says, There is no fear in love. Because perfect love drives out, drives out fear, because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. And we love because he first loved us. I don't have to be scared of what other people think about me proclaiming God's love for them. You know, when Jamie and I, you know, when she first caught my eye, man, it was like scary for her. <laughs> but I couldn't help but talk about it. All my, my close guy friends, that's who I thought, man, I, you know, I, 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 want, I, I wonder when she eats. I wonder where she sits at in chapel because we were at SBU. And, you know, I wonder, I wonder what route, you know, I, I got really stalkerish, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I just wanted to be around her. I wanted to talk to her. And, when, and after I talked to her, I, I would talk about her and I would think about her. I was just so overwhelmed with this idea of a crush and, and, and just getting to know her. Funny thing is, it wasn't until I got my heart right with God that God even opened the door for, for this to start. But I wasn't worried about what people thought. Are you worried about what people think when you talk about your spouse? Maybe for saying the wrong thing, I guess. When you talk about your kids, we don't worry about those things. Why? Because we love them. So why should we hurry about a God who loves every single person no matter what situation they find themselves in this life? Because that's our message. God loves you. He loves you. He loves me. Most people in our life, they know us, right? God loves me. I know he loves you. He loves you. So as we leave this place, the application is we need to go out and proclaim the love of God. That's it. It's that simple. That's how we remain in his love. To proclaim it, to testify it. But you may be here this morning and you've heard the lies of the enemy saying, you know, you, you, you can get saved when you get your act cleared up. Or, you know, God would actually love you if you weren't doing that one thing. And you know what that thing is. Here's the truth of God's word that you need to hear in this moment. As the enemy tries to tear you down and pull you away from God. God loves you. I think I've said that enough times today, but. And there's nothing in your life that God is surprised about. There's nothing in your life that God says you better fix that before you can accept my love for you. When I understand that God loves me and he sent his son Jesus to die for my sins and Jesus died but he rose again that I could be forgiven past, present, and future because he was the atoning sacrifice. When I believe that and I understand that, what I do is I come into this salvation I get saved. I'm no longer lost. I get, I get the, the promise of eternal life in heaven. I come into the salvation, and then what I do is I allow God who loves me do the molding and the making and the shaping and let him start to clean out that stuff that maybe we're ashamed of. And he'll do it in such a beautiful way. <laughs> It'll be so much less painful. If you're here this morning and that's something, I, I, can't, I can't do that yet, Pastor Mike, because whatever that is, it's a lie. And I'm going to stand here and I'm just going to ask, if you need Jesus today and you're fully aware that God loves you and you want salvation, the Bible says you admit you're a sinner, you fall short. You believe Jesus died for your sins, he rose again because God loves me, and then you confess it. And part of confession is making it publicly made. So as Jackson comes on up to lead us in worship, if that's you, then I'm going to ask you, just don't have fear in this moment. Perfect love drives out fear. Come down. But maybe you're here this morning, you've just been wrestling spiritually, and Satan's been trying to tell you time and time again that God doesn't love you. And God has made it a stamp today. He loves you before you even loved him. And nothing you can do is ever going to stop him from loving you. But you just need to come and kneel before the Father and apologize to God. Not to me, but to God. God, I, I forgot that. I don't know, but man, isn't God good? 
Isn't he good? Let's sing a song of worship just of how good he is as we come to the cross. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for putting up with me. (laughs) I think you love every single individual in this room. Lord, I praise you because you know every single individual's wrestling match right now in their heart. You know the things they're scared and they hope nobody else finds out about. You know the things that they try to keep hidden. You know the lies that they, they sometimes tell around other people. Father, your word says perfect love drives out fear, so I ask your love just to overwhelm them in this moment. To drive out any fear, any doubt, any, any questioning of your love for them. Fathers, we just become so in awe and so amazed of how much you love us and everything you've done to show us how much you love us. Let us come to this place and this time and respond appropriately. So take us to the cross. Take us to that place where we remembered how much you did so that we could be a part of your kingdom and be called your children and be called Christians and saved. And Lord, let us be at that place and let us live it out as we leave this, this hall that people would see by the way we're living our life that your love is just pouring out onto them. And so when they ask us, why are we doing what we're doing, Lord, we would just simply respond because God loves me and he loves you. Lord, let us that be our cry. Let that be our church sign. Let that be our banner that we just put before people that we are so in love with you because you loved us. And that's all people see with Harvest Hill. Lord, forgive us when we've become immune. We've become so busy about doing godly things that aren't actually godly that we forget to love you. Lord, bring us to our knees. Bring us to a place where we're just so aware our eyes. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and and a heart that's ready to be formed and shaped. Forgive me, Lord, if I failed you in any time as an instrument of your righteousness in this time and this place. But Lord, let this time of, of invitation be all about your will and all about your kingdom that has been done in our lives today. Praise in your son's name. Stand for sin.